people get very stuck in thinking that creative is like a um it's like a thing that you either have or you don't you know when you either got that gene or you didn't yeah. and or it's it is specifically about art you know it has to be like painting or drawing or writing or sewing and and i i mean i have found this unfolding of my best life best death business to be just one of the most creative ventures i've i've launched into since you know since my 30s and so i think there's something about trusting your gut like that's the biggest thing to me i i'm always kind of shocked how people don't trust their intuition and i trust it like almost maybe too much i mean i don't know i just i i get such clarity internally and when i have clarity internally it always lines up and guides me Welcome to the Art and Life podcast with your host, Taylor Gallegos. Art exists all around us, in all directions, from all walks of life. We just need to know how to see it. The Art and Life podcast is an experiment in an audio format that focuses on the art and philosophy involved with different people and their life paths. This experiment is intended to inspire you in your creative pursuits, whatever they may be. Follow along as I interview movers and shakers from all walks of life. It's possible to make a life from your art, skill, craft, or vision. These interviews showcase that fact. Listen while you work. Listen while you create. Listen while you dream up the next big breakthrough. First off, I want to say thank you for listening. The people being interviewed and I are two parts of the podcast, but it wouldn't be complete without you, the listener. I very much appreciate your attention and your energy, and I hope you get as much out of this as I do. If you enjoy what you hear, you join me on this artistic journey in many ways. You can subscribe to the show, leave a review, share it around. You can join the conversation on the Art and Life Facebook group where you get notified of fresh episode drops. You can join my email list on my website at taylorgallegosart.com, the contact page. You can follow me on Instagram and Facebook at taylorgallegosart. And finally, you can support me on Patreon. So again, a deep and sincere thank you for being here. I appreciate it. Now, on to the good stuff. Welcome, everybody, to the podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Gallegos. And with me today is a return guest. I'm pumped on this one. Uh, this woman is uh, awesome in so many ways. And uh, she is a death doula. She has uh, switched gears, started started this uh, approach and has been doing this work for a couple of years now. And I got to um, sit in on one of the courses that she did. And it was profoundly impactful and so i was really excited to have her back diane hullett thanks for being here 
Thank you, Taylor. I'm thrilled to be back. Yeah. Art and Life podcast lives on. Here we go. <laughs> um, Bring it on. Bring it on. Nice. Nice. So what I was doing with podcast with this podcast is I would always have everybody, you know, tell their life story. But for one, your life story was in a couple episodes back. And um, for two, I'm not doing any that anymore. We're just jumping right to it. So here's the question that I'm going to throw at you right now is um, like, what's the most important element of what uh, what you're dealing with in your work these days? What has you most excited? Oh, great question. I love it. Well, so, you know, I trained with an organization called the Conscious Dying Institute, which is really, I think of it as one of the pillars of end of life education and doula training in our country. There are, there are a few, there are several, there are some amazing places that people are training in end of life work. And the Conscious Dying Institute has been around since 2013 or 2014. It's kind of a grandmother in the field in some ways, founded by a woman named Taryn Estes, who had an enormous amount of experience with dying and strong beliefs about what we could bring to that transition. So I did the training with her to, to become a death doula, but where I really found my groove is in the education component because I love to have conversations and I love to talk with people and I love to bring information and share information and get people sharing with each other. And so it isn't so much that I'm really working as a death doula, like sitting vigil with the dying. It's much more that I'm working with those who are still alive and on this side of the veil and interested in how mortality impacts how they live. So what's been really interesting about that is I feel like I work in these concentric circle layers, right? So on the one hand, I might work with someone one-on-one -on -one and we might have um, go through a best three months, I call it kind of process for thinking about what they would like in different domains of their life if they only had three months to live. Now that might be a rhetorical question, someone who is healthy and in their 50s and just wants to take a look at these things, or it might be someone who has a terminal diagnosis. Um, you know, I've had people I've worked with who've had cancer or ALS or different kinds of degenerative diseases. So we talk about how could their end look and, and what might that be like? So at the center is these one-on-one -on -one conversations, right? And impacting one person's experience. And then I think of it as that next circle out is really impacting the family and friends of that person. And then another circle out from that is the community. Where do you live? What services are available? How, how much can that community support a dying person? And then beyond that is like, how do we impact this bigger conversation? And that's where a year ago I got into podcasting and I've just really loved watching how that's grown. So when you talk about what, you know, where's your juice for the impact? I've loved watching these podcast interviews, which are very casual conversations, how people respond to them and share them with their friends and tell me how much it meant to them. I put up a podcast about suicide at the beginning of this month with a therapist in Boulder talking about suicide's impact. And wow, you know, so many people have reached out and said, I really learned something new about suicide through that conversation. So there's something to me about, my, my passion is really about how to keep impacting the broader conversation. And that of course is individual, but also bigger. Yeah, wow. 
And it's so cool because, uh, I mean, you weren't on that, that long ago. It was, I feel like it was maybe like February, like a year and a half ago. I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah. And I was just getting started. Yeah. And you've come so far. Um, well, and I always chuckle. It was really, I swear, I feel like my big brother just put me up to a dare. I mean, it, last summer, he just was like, you got to have a podcast. And I was like, what? Like, I wouldn't know the first <laughs> thing about how to do that. That sounds really high tech, you know? And he was like, nope, I'm going to send you an article. I'm going to tell you what software you need. You got to just do it. And I was going to see him about three days later. And I thought, man, if I don't just like look into this and start it, he's going to just bug me about it the whole time I see him. Yes. So I did my intro, <laughs> my little one minute intro last summer before, right before I saw him so that I could go to him and say, okay, I put up a podcast. And then uh, I do find it funny because like I just met a group of, of women entrepreneurs and one of them said, oh, you have a podcast. And I said, yeah. And she said, how many episodes do you have? And I said, oh, I don't know, something like over 50, you know, 54 or something. And she was like, what? So, you know, I think some people maybe start a podcast and just do it in a tiny little way, but I just challenged myself to do one a week ever since oh, yeah. last, really last August, September is when it really got going. Yeah. That's cool. And if you keep it, you know, simple, like you're saying, like the editing is very minimal. Um, you know, like I clip off the first second and then the last couple seconds and occasionally there's something that needs to be cut out, but very rarely. And Just so let it run. Boom, boom, boom. Add that together, write a little content and you, you send it out. Yeah. And it's, um, it's been really cool for me to have the podcast for this amount of time now and see people like you. There's been a handful of people who've started their own podcasts which is so awesome. I'm like, I love doing this. And it yeah. like the, you know, it's like its own, it's, it is its own form of art. And it's really cool to see what people like where people take it. Yes. Um, and it's partly like it is, it's like the art of conversation. And so then you have got in terms of the podcast, like you've gotten, you've been able to connect with pretty high up people in your field, right? Yeah, about that, that that's been a lot of fun. Well, what was great is I put up a podcast, maybe my 10th podcast or so was just me talking about an end of life educator named Barbara Carnes. And if anyone who's listening has ever had a family member work with hospice and they've given you a little light blue book with a boat on the front that's called Gone from My Sight, that is a book that Barbara Carnes wrote many, many years ago, like in the early 80s. And it's, it's shared all over the world, translated into a bunch of languages. And it's just this very basic booklet about what happens when we die and how much it is, you know, she's got a great sweatshirt now that says people don't die like they do in the movies. And she really wants that her goal is that people be more educated about what that end of life transition looks like. And just like we do an enormous amount of preparation for births, and we've got a lot of information for mothers and fathers and extended family about what that looks like, we can have that same kind of information about death and dying and end of life. So I did this little podcast that was just me talking about Barbara Carnes. And then just, a, I don't know, maybe a couple months later, one of my um, Facebook colleagues reached out and said, Diane, Barbara Carnes just mentioned your name on her Facebook page. Like, what the heck? <laughs> so I go to the Facebook page and Barbara had said, you know, hey, she just found this podcaster named Diane Hullett. Thanks for the nice podcast, Diane. And I was like, oh, oh my gosh, like fangirl, fangirl. So I reached <laughs> out and I said, you know, maybe we should actually just have a conversation. And she, she just couldn't have been more gracious. And she said, that'd be lovely. 
So she was a person that I reached out to. And then another great one was hospice nurse, Julie, who became a TikTok sensation. She's all over Instagram, really lovely, lovely woman. She's a hospice nurse in Southern California. So I think my husband saw an article about her in like, I don't know, some newspaper at an airport or something. And he said, hey, check this out. So I just emailed her out of the blue. And I was like, hey, hospice nurse, Julie, you want to be on my podcast? And she said, sure. So that was kind of the beginning of feeling kind of gutsy about reaching out to people and just seeing what they'd say. And of course, another one is a very powerful, wonderful author named Amy Bloom. And Amy's husband had an early onset of dementia, early onset of Alzheimer's. And he said, I'm not going in for the long goodbye. I'm going to end my life and you're going to help me figure out how. So he and Amy ultimately traveled to Switzerland to an organization called Dignitas that does assisted suicide. And Amy wrote a book about it. And she's a fine novelist and an excellent writer. And her book, which is called In Love, A Tale of Love and Loss, is, is just stunning. And the first time I reached out to her, uh, you know, her assistant said, well, you know, we'll kick this up to publicity and see what they say. And I thought, you know, publicity is talking to NPR. They are not going to call the Best Life, Best Death podcast. But a couple months later, I wrote again, and I just I just wrote an impassioned short email that said, you know, a lot of my listeners are doulas and hospice workers and people involved with end of life. And I think they'd really like to hear what you have to say. And she very graciously agreed to an interview. And um, I think it's one of my best. It's a really casual conversation that almost in a way covers the whole arc of her book. Like you could listen to this 25 minute conversation and you would really get a lot about what is in that Amy Bloom book. So those have just been three that have been super exciting, but I love, you know, I love the conversation that's just casually with individuals too, and their experience about um, life and loss. Yeah. Yeah. You get something amazing out of like from everything and, you know, just, just more evidence that everybody is special in their own way. And everybody has a story. Yeah. Oh, gosh, I saw a video clip, especially in relation to death. Yes. Yes. So I saw a video clip the other day of um, it was an intro to a gosh, I'm not going to be able to pull up the name of the video at the moment, but it, it was a documentary about grief and the, you're watching people walk on a sidewalk and there's kind of voiceover and you're in some big city. And then you start realizing that almost every person has a t-shirt with a, a name on it, not, not a name exactly, but like grandmother, grandfather, parent, or daughter, sister, brother, or those kinds of things that describe the people that they've lost. And so you start realizing that every person on the sidewalk has this t-shirt of loss that they're wearing. And the voiceover kind of says, you know, we wear our losses and our griefs so silently most of the time that people don't necessarily know, but everyone has a loss or a death or a grief or a challenge. And what if they were just on our t-shirts, you know? Yeah. Whoa. I was really <laughs> moved by that as a visual. Totally. You know, Taylor, do you know about there's a there's another famous visual artist who I'm not going to be able to pull the name up, who's done a, a grief wall kind of um, mural where people can add to it. Um, gosh, I'll no, try to. I don't know. It sounds awesome, though. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's kind of an interactive wall where I think people write their losses on the wall. Yeah. Yeah, I like I like that 
I mean, that has like this whole community element to it, which is really neat. And, um, and then, well, it's kind of like, uh, like the temple at Burning Man. Um, okay. I had a dream two nights ago that I went to Burning Man. Cool. You want to go okay. with me next year? <laughs> Let's do it. Yeah. I'm putting a camp together. Um, <gasps> no way. Okay. Yeah. So, I couldn't believe I had a dream about Burning Man. It was so, yeah, it was really awesome. Oh yeah. You're going to love it. It's going to okay, be great. great um we'll talk more after the show here but okay sounds good uh, in fact in the dream i was trying to figure out what i was going to bring to trade and i was going to bring a whole bunch of burritos that i could feed people yeah there you go there you go that's a great idea nice nice job dream world <laughs> subconscious <laughs> i'll take a burrito yeah um but no the temple at burning man everyone you know we think of burning man as this like big wild crazy extravaganza but there's the temple which is this big, beautifully done temple. It's the, designed by amazing architects every single year. And uh, you walk in there and it's silent. Um, there's people like meditating and and like in their own worlds and are like chilling and like contemplative, uh, uh, you know, mindsets. And uh, you are allowed to write on the walls or like tack or like stick things to the walls and people write names of lost loved ones, lost pets, lost whatever. Um, you kind of go there to let go of the past year or the past in any way. Um, and it's just got a completely silent thing. Whereas the rest of Burning Man's this like loud over the top, like excited element. And um, on like the Saturday, the final Saturday of the event, the Burning Man burns and that's a giant wooden building sculpture thing. And then on, and it's like loud and everyone, like all the, everybody shows up there's like fifty thousand people around this music's bumping from everywhere it's like so much energy the next night they burn the temple and that is only like ten thousand people and it's silent there's no no one's playing any music at all all of a sudden in the dark of the night you just see these flames start to come out and it's this like silent burn and you know like if you visited there you like you feel it and you like it's a releasing and like when you go there, you want to like put your intent energy and intention or whatever you want to let go of there. And so then like watching it go up in flames is this like really powerful experience. It sounds amazing. I mean, essentially it's a community grief event. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's really cool. I mean, one time I was there, the last time I was there, I walked up and I was like, you know, just kind of observing. And this guy walked up and stood next to me and he was just standing there. And then he start he like put his hand on the wall and then he started to cry. He was like thumbtacking this photo of this woman on the wall and he started to cry. And he, you know, I was like, I put my hand on his shoulder. I was like, what's up, man? What's going on? And he said that he, uh, like he met this woman and she was amazing and they hit it off right away. And they started going on these dates and like in a month they'd been on like eight or 10 dates and it was just like the best time of both their lives and they were just on fire and then one date she didn't show up and she'd gotten in a car accident and died and he was like bawling <laughs> you know it was like and it was like three months before that that it happened and I just like turned and like gave him a hug and like we just stood there for like five minutes and he's just like he was just like melting it was wild yeah. and I just stood there you know like nothing you can really do or say and and I've never seen him again you know but it was like yeah. such a human moment such a witnessing yeah. yeah I think I think you know I 
I think a lot about these different phrases, um, you know, death positive or death denying or grief denying, you know, in terms of our broader society, kind of how do we hold these big things? And I, I think how little space we make for that kind of grief, right? Like, like someone could have said to him so easily, oh, you only knew her a month or, oh, you know, there'll be another or, but that isn't the point. Like the point is you had this love and then your heart breaks and, you know, human to human, how do we hold that? Yeah. Yeah. And like, that that's interesting because it brings up the concept of like, how does time relate with the, with love, you know, and like, or age, you know, like, are you any more or less heartbroken if you fall in love with someone at six than if you do at 20 or 40 or 80, you know, right. like, how does it, how does it work or is it always the same? Well, and even just this fascinating, um, the trajectory of our lives, I was probably about 21, maybe 22, when I had the chance to go to Maine and meet a woman there, a really remarkable woman named Margaret Chase Smith. And Margaret Chase Smith was a senator from Maine and her husband had been the senator from Maine and he had died. This, gosh, this probably would have been in the 40s or early 50s. So the husband was the senator, he died and she stepped into the role. And this was like unheard of. I think she might've been the first woman senator. I mean, people were like, no, 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 no. You give up that seat. Like other people are supposed to take that seat. You know, some man is supposed to be in that seat. She was like, nope, I don't think so. I'm going to be the senator from Maine now. And she had this remarkable life. So I got to visit her and she was probably in her mid nineties when I saw her. And she was this tiny little bent old lady with these very grayed over eyes. Like she had lost a lot of her eyesight and yet she still had this incredible spark to her. And there's a museum to all her work because of everything she did. So I went in this museum and I walked around this, like, you know, like a presidential museum kind of thing, but at the Senator level. So I walked around this, this museum and I saw all these pictures of her throughout her life, her childhood when she was on the basketball team in high school, you know, her early married years with her husband, you know, on the arm of the senator and then her as senator. And it would be, you know, her in this snappy little suit amidst this sea of men who were the senators, right? Mm -hmm. And so it was the first time in my life that I had such a strong hit of how we are the same, no matter the age of our bodies because I would sit there and have lunch with her. And I would think, wow, this is the girl who played basketball. Like I can actually sense her in there. And yeah. prior to that, I think I always, you know, I would have been like a tiny little old lady, whatever, boring. But there was really this uh, feeling of the arc of her life and the tenacity of the soul, if you want to call it that, that runs through us. And it was all present in her, in all those pictures and videos of her meeting with the prime minister of India and all these world leaders and in her as this little tiny wizened old lady who could barely answer her mail, but did so faithfully. She answered every letter that was ever written to her. So yeah, it's, it's time, you know, what's time and what is this human experience in these bodies that, um, as I think you had said, you know, it's like birth and death are the bookends and we're somewhere in between. Yeah. Yeah. And we uh, don't know where in between we are. I think that's what's intriguing. Yeah. 
Totally. I think I I just said that on your podcast, right? <laughs> it feels kind of like a like a dream loop that we're in here. Yeah, we're in a podcast dream loop here. <laughs> um, but that's cool that you brought that part up and that realization that like she's this she's in there. And um, I did want to tie this back to the best three months course. And, you know, I went through it with you and that was like six months ago and it was really awesome and really profound. And um, I mean, one thing that stood out about that was the zoom out effect on like a lifespan and how like, like you were, like we were just referencing, like we all have this lifespan of birth and death and we're somewhere on there and we don't know where we're at on that. Do we have five years? Do we have a day? Do we have 50 years? We don't know. So um, it really changes the context of everything. But your your course really did that also for me where, you know, anyone I meet, like young or old, like, like you meet a, a brand new baby and they're going to get old and die at to, you know, or they're going to have an end of their life sometime. So like we and that's like we all share this common experience. Animals, too, you know, like you can like and with that brings up a lot of gratitude for what we have all the time, um, every day, every interaction. Tell us a little bit about, you know, like you were just getting the best three months started when we talked last. So talk about maybe a little bit of the course about what it's about, how, how you do it. And then also like what the overall zoomed out effect has been for you. Sure, sure. So best three months is of course developed by the conscious dying Institute again, where I did my training and the idea is that it is really powerful to name your date of death three months from now and say what that date will be out loud and then ask yourself some really, you know, challenging and powerful questions in some about your life. And for simplicity's sake, we break that into five domains. And, and that's really because it's very hard to talk about life as one big thing. So we kind of break it up. We talk about on a physical level, like how would you, how would you like your body to be cared for? What gives you comfort? What, what do you dislike? Are you a person who loves warm blankets or prefers cool sheets? You know, what are the physical realities of your body and how do those connect to how you'd want to be cared for physically at the end of your life? And then we talk about your spiritual life, whatever that is, whatever beliefs you bring, are there incomplete places there? Is there something you'd like to do different? We talk about your emotional life. And that's often a really challenging one for people because it can feel really big. But to me, the most basic question is, are there any loose ends? You know, if you were hit by the proverbial bus tomorrow, would there be a loose end that you would have regret? Is there someone you meant to talk to? Is there a relationship you'd like some repair with? And some really powerful things have come out of people who've done the best three months class. And some of the things they do in that emotional realm have been really powerful to hear. And then we talk about- Real quick. Yeah. My list was awesome. And I went through it and I have done all of the things that were on my list. And they were really, really powerful bonding experiences with the people that I had those conversations with. And now I feel like, like light, you know, like- like, I don't have this list. I'm just like present. Yes, because like whatever, whatever kind of 
wasn't yours. I feel like yours was that there were some people you really wanted to reach out to and just like thank and acknowledge and just be like, I love that you've been in my life. Like they were just affirming conversations, but you, you had a list of people you wanted to do that with and you did it. Yeah. Yeah. And it was great. Awesome. (laughs) You know, it's so funny at the beginning of COVID, because I, like you had kind of this experience of like, oh, this is like for real, like this could take down me or my husband, like it felt really real. Um, And I wrote handwritten letters to some friends, like maybe eight or 10 friends. And one of them just said to me today, I can't believe you wrote me that beautiful handwritten letter about our friendship. And it really like it really touched her. And here it is, you know, three years later, and she still remembers it. I, there's something about that affirmation through letters or phone calls or whatever it is that's that's really powerful. And and not everybody takes the time to do it. Nope. So, yep, so emotional, so that realm. And then the fourth place we talk about is legacy, um, which has to do with, you know, what what is it that you want to leave behind? And that might be through words, that might be through relationship, that might be things, that might be art, that can go a lot of different places. But like, it can be as big as like, what's your stamp on the world? And it can be as small as like, I want to write a letter to my daughter, like that kind of range of what do you leave? And then finally, we talk about after death care. And and in a way that goes a little practical again, but it's fascinating. The after death care world has changed so much and there are so many different options now. So people in the class really love to hear about the range of what's out there. So in this six or seven- Real quick to dive in just for a second, the, um, the stuff, the legacy stuff, that talk really um, made me look at all my things that I would leave behind. I don't have- like I don't have a lot of stuff and, but it helped me see clearly that I have quote unquote stuff that doesn't really matter. I have like this desk and the bed and the house and like, you know, the cars and like whatever, all that's, that's just stuff. Right. And then there's my art. And I have two parts to that. One is the art that I make for like my life and um, like as a professional artist. And then there's this art that is like super special And that is the stuff that I have, like, uh, those are my drawing books and my childhood drawings and things like that. And that I made a big old list of people that I wanted to leave these things to. And so like, it's, it's really like, like caused me to look at all of my material possessions, including the art, and then break that up into like what matters for what. And that was a really cool cool stuff. I love that. People also often like find something that they want to write about there. Like, like, you know, if if somebody just gets the art book and they don't know the story behind it or a a little letter about what it means to you, they just go, Oh, cool. Taylor left me some art, but how do you sort of put your voice to it and attach? I, I think my, my analogy is, is quilts probably, you know, I have a bunch of quilts I've made and really nobody knows the story behind them except me. So if I don't, write a little bit about why this quilt mattered to me and how I started making it and who I think it's for, nobody would know. They'd just be like, oh, great. Here's a quilt. What should we do with this? Or, you know, yeah. We, a friend of mine um, is, is wonderful at finding quilts, tops, like piece together tops in thrift stores. And she and I, whenever she finds this gorgeous old top, some of them are hand sewn together, which means, you know, they're before the fifties. Generally, a lot of people stopped hand sewing after that. 
we'll, we'll open this quilt top and lay it on the floor and just like have this reverent moment with it because it's like somebody made this and it meant something to them. And then through whatever various moves and yard sales and whatever, it now ended up at the thrift store and now it's in our hands. And there is this kind of sacredness to it. And she and I read an article one time about it. Someone who goes, I believe it was in Chicago. This woman goes to um, estate sales and she makes it her mission to finish sewing projects that are unfinished. Uh-huh. Sewing projects are often something that end up in a yard sale, right? Some mm-hmm. family members like, I'm never going to finish that or I don't want that. So this woman like will find, you know, a hundred quilt blocks and she'll put them together into a quilt and then finish it. And I just love that idea of finishing something, even for strangers. There's something so beautifully, um, there's such a level of completion in that. I just, I found that so moving to complete things for a total stranger. I just, I thought that was so cool. Yeah. So, okay. So best three months. So you've got these five domains, very interesting. Each one of them, I try to provide a range of materials to access that, right? Whether it's reflection questions or a video to watch or a conversation or some writing to do, like as a group in the course, we kind of hash out that domain for that week, right? And we kind of chew on it and think about it. And we really work to create action steps that are relevant to that person. And I I try to, you know, we all go, oh, I need to organize my photos or, oh, I need to finish my will. And those can stay at that level of kind of, I know I should kind of thing. But what I really try to help people do through this work is to really make it real and really move it forward. So if you don't have your estate planning paperwork done, how are you going to get it done? Do you need to hire an attorney? Do you need to make a date with yourself on Saturday morning and the DIY section of your computer? Like what is it that is going to cause you to get that done? And that's a great example because so many people know they need a will and they don't have one. Yeah. Um, and, and with good reason, I mean, it's kind of scary. You write these permanent things down, but I encourage people to think of that as like, it's a will for today. Like it doesn't have to be perfect. It has to be good enough that if something happened to you today, you've got this in place because when you die without a will, oh my gosh, it's so difficult. A, a, a quick story is that a friend of mine, her uncle just died and the uncle had said, all my important papers are in this box. So they very carefully had put the box in the car before he died and driven it from South Carolina, where he lived back up to Ohio, very carefully brought the box. A couple of weeks later, the uncle died. They opened the box and it's empty. <laughs> so now they've got, you know, multiple properties, complicated issues, and everything goes into probate. So what should have been a super simple process and, you know, maybe they'll find the papers in one of his files between the apartment and the Ohio and the house or whatever, but you know, you just, you, you leave a mess for the people behind if you don't have that stuff in order. Right. One of my favorite articles, and you can Google this article, if you type in how to be kinder to those, if, oh, let me get it right. It's Sienna Stewart, how to be kinder to those you love. How to make your death kinder to those you love. That's what it is. Really great article about, you know, how to make your death kinder to those you love. Yeah. So I think I think what's powerful in the best three months course is that it's just a real opportunity for a deep dive into these different aspects of your life. And 
you know, it isn't so much about death as it is about living and really prioritizing. Yeah. And getting the the zoomed out view of it all. It was, it was so awesome for me to, to do the course. And I feel like it really, it really affected my life and my personal life and my career with the legacy concepts. And then also just like understanding that like we are all going to die and that, um, you know, what, what are we going to do? How are we going to handle it? How are we going to live? Um, uh, switching gears, I was thinking that it would be really fun to actually run you through the, the questions for season three, because you had the season two questions. And who knows, maybe one question is the same, and maybe it's the same as last time, but maybe it's evolved. I don't know. Um, so we'll just jump into that. Um, question number one is, what is your advice to aspiring creatives? Oh, I love that. I love that because, oh, because I think people get very stuck in thinking that creative is like a, um, it's like a thing that you either have or you don't, you know, when you either got that gene or you didn't and, or it's, it is specifically about art. You know, it has to be like painting or drawing or writing or sewing and and I, I mean, I have found this unfolding of my best life, best death business to be just one of the most creative ventures I've, I've launched into since, you know, since my thirties. And so I think there's something about trusting your gut. Like that's the biggest thing to me. I I'm always kind of shocked how people don't trust their intuition and I trust it like almost maybe too much. I mean, I don't know. I just, I, I get such clarity internally. And when I have clarity internally, it always lines up and guides me, whether it's which two colors I want to put together in a quilt or whether it's um, which podcast guest I should reach out to and whether I should do that via Facebook or email, you know, like I just, there's so much information that we can get and we can follow. So I think like trust your gut and allow everything to be creative. Like your whole life is your creative project, not just the thing that you're writing or doing. It's, it's how you move through your day. It's how you know what you want to have for lunch. Like to me, all of that is creative. So I just try to swim around in that constantly. I try to bring it to how I see problems or how I see what I think is a problem. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think with that, with that approach, you just, you shift the way you move through the world because you, I don't know, I just feel more um, alive and in alignment and, and, you know, you can knock it and say, well, that's privilege and that's um, choices and you're lucky and you are able to make those, those privileged choices of intuition, a hundred percent also true. But I also feel like there's a river that we can all tap into. That's this river of humanity, of creativity and of joy that is really is present, even when crappy things happen and, you know, bad things occur. There's, there's, there's always, there's always joy. One of the people that I'm interviewing soon is a woman named Dana Frost and her work is called the Force Joy Project. And she has this great bag that says joy still exists. And I just, I just love that. Like, I think even in the midst of 
you know, the world situation, I think joy still exists. So how do we find that in ourselves and follow it? Yeah, that's awesome. And thinking from that, uh, like intuitive space and it feels very, uh, you know, just like quicker and lighter and like less second guessing. And it also reminds me of the, the quote or the, the concept of, um, do what you can with what you've got where you're at mm. from where you're at and yeah. so like it, it keeps it you can kind of look around and be like what do I have right here available like what can I do now and then like um so it's very like light and uh nimble yeah I love that um okay question uh, two what would you like life to be like in five years Oh, my life or all of life? <laughs> Anywhere you want to go with it. Oh, that's really good. Um, my life, I I experience life right now is very like continually just expanding. So I would like to just keep moving with that expansion. I have two teenagers who've just moved out of the house and gone on to do their next things. And I feel a huge sense of expansion with that. I think, I think some parents contract with that and that's some people, that's their natural reaction. My reaction has been this feeling of expansion, both for me and for them. I feel like my business is expanding. My podcast is expanding. My sense of um, sort of who is in the field of death education and death work and what are they doing? I want to just keep expanding that conversation and those voices like amplifying the good that is to be learned from facing mortality. Yeah. Yeah. So expansion is the word that comes to mind for me. I don't have any specific, like there isn't a goal tied to that exactly. It's, it's just sort of following what comes next. Which is awesome because I feel like that's, um, you know, goals are more like tangible and harder edged, whereas expansion is like an intention. Yes. And, uh, you know, that's just taking you in a, a general direction. That's good. Yep. Yep. Cool. All right. Um, question three. I'm writing that down. It was so good. Okay. We got to write down here. Um, <laughs> have you seen or experienced your work uh, affect a person or the world on a deep level? Tell us about it. Oh, gosh. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, every single person who's taken a class or, you know, there are, I'm not the only one teaching best three months and any anybody who's come into contact with that kind of work is impacted. Um, one of my colleagues is uh, Gabby Jimenez, who's out in San Francisco area. She's a hospice nurse. She has over 100,000 followers on Facebook. She writes the most beautiful things. Her Her work is called The Hospice Heart. And I mean, I just, I look at how Gabby impacts people and mine is much smaller at this point in terms of, you know, numbers like that, hard crunching numbers, but, but I feel the field impacting people. And I think just this real possibility of impacting individual deaths, families and friends, and then this broader societal impact, it's, 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 I think it's got real potential to just keep impacting people when when we keep looking at death as an integral part of life and how being aware of it and conscious about it will impact not only how we die or how we help others at their end of life, but also how we live. So there's this, it's this real yin yang to me. 
And I think there's just great possibility for where these conversations can go. And, you know, the podcast is such a way to reach more people at different levels. You just never know who shares it and who hears what. So I, I always, my podcast has just been kind of a weekly conversation with all kinds of different people in the field. And, you know, it was funny. I think it was in mid-April. I was like, okay, I need to get some podcasts recorded in April and May. So I have stuff kind of in the bag for the summer. Cause I knew I was having a busy summer with my family. So I did a bunch of podcasts right in a row and I, I started out by making a list and I thought, okay, well, I've got to get, I think the number was 15. I've got to get 15 in the bag. And I so quickly got to 40 possibilities of people to talk to people I mentioned before authors whose books I wanted to get, uh, you know, up. And, and so it was just so exciting to me. It wasn't like, Hmm, let me scratch my head and think about two or three people I could reach out to. It was like, whoa, how do I limit this? You know, where do I start? Which, which of these 40 people should I call first or, you know, email? I'm, I'm so old fashioned. I make it sound like I'm going to call them, you know, no, <laughs> not call email. So, <laughs> so that to me is like this impact is these conversations. I've got, you know, more than uh, almost 8,000 listeners on my podcast and, um, that's not per episode. Don't get me wrong, but like you know, the numbers are building. It's really That's awesome. Like, yeah, yeah. That's this so is great. from this is from zero a year ago, right? Yep. Yeah. That's it's great. Cool. It's That's just so really cool. so that tells me that this conversation is one that people are hungry for. This topic is one that people are willing to listen to and dive into, and that there's real interest in what it would mean to have a more death accepting world in our particular angle of the world. Yeah. And I think that, I mean, this really reminds me or makes me think of like, as an artist, you're an artist of life and all kinds of art. And, but like, as an artist, you're always just kind of tinkering, you know, and you're just like throwing spaghetti at that wall, throwing spaghetti at that wall. And eventually you find a wall that the spaghetti really sticks to. And you're like, Oh, okay. And then you keep throwing and then like every time spaghetti sticks and then you're like, there's something happening here. Right. And, you know, like uh, you have found your like wall. <laughs> the spaghetti my wall of like, spaghetti. Oh my gosh. This is like, <laughs> and, and it's like a totally green pasture and there's so much need for it and want for it. And like your impact, you know, I, I like, it seems like watching what you're doing and talking about, it's like, it almost seems like it feels effortless to you. And that's like, that is so well put, you know, and that's like what it seems like when people hit their stride, when they find their niche, that work stops feeling like work. It's like you go to sleep excited about the next day and you wake up before your alarm. Cause you're like, holy shit, today's awesome. I'm looking forward to this. Oh and yeah. Then- I'm like, pinch me every day. I'm like, pinch me. I can't believe I get to do this. <laughs> yeah. This is my life. Awesome. I also find it super fascinating. I've been so struck this summer how important a business name is, Ooh, right? Yeah. And I sort of knew that when I was getting a domain name and a business name and all that. And and uh, there are lots of different names out there, you know. And and I could have gone with something that was more like, you know, gracious death or, you know, I don't know, you know, something that had to do with like, you know, compassionate ends or conversations about the end or something like this. And instead what I landed on was best life, best death. And now here I am a few years later going, 
boy, did I nail it, right? Because <laughs> it's never been for me all about the end. It's always been about the living. Yeah. And so I love that that best life, best death, they really come together. And I just, you'll love this. I just made stickers the other day at Staples. Who knew you could go into Canva, design a sticker and then drive over to Staples and print it. So my <laughs> stickers say best life includes having conversations about best death. There we you go. Know? And I just, I just think that's really, yeah, sometimes cool. easier said than done, but really exciting. Yeah. And important. Yep. All right. Nice. Nice. Um, okay. Question number four uh, is as of this moment in time and space right now, what is your definition of art? Hmm. Art, I mean, what pops in my head is that art is life. I mean, like they're inseparable. I, I think it's possible we've done too much separating of those in our culture. And I think, you know, that's what I was kind of referring to earl earlier when I say it, it's tragic to me when people feel like they don't have artist artistry in them. You know, I think everybody has art and that life is an art and art is a big piece of life. And that's not taking it out and saying, you know, what you can paint is very different than what I can paint, but it's all art. <laughs> you know, it's all life. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. That made me think um, art is a conscious choice. Like your life, you can either live as art or you can not. And it's up to you. Well, like if art is, if art, uh, you know, if, if the process of art, because I never think of art as like this static end thing, right? I think of art as like this process. So if the process of art has to do with the process of something unfolding in us individually, then that is also the, the thread of our life unfolding, right? So that's where they just feel so interconnected to me. I, I'm sure, you know, I'm sure you could take this a lot of different ways, right? So there's art in museums and there's beauty and there's, you know, artful things that can be made, but I'm kind of going to like the biggest, the biggest level of art and creativity, which is ultimately, I feel like that's what humans are, right? Where this somehow this, this package that showed up in these funny little bodies and here we are to learn something. And <laughs> that seems like art right there to me. Right. Because, because it's a process. It's never a finished product. Yeah. And we're always just making new work. Yeah. <laughs> the time, new projects. Yeah. Nice. All right, cool. Well, uh, that ends the question section. Now we're going to go on to the uh, part of the podcast where I honor my guests and I thank them for being on the show. Thanks Yay. for being on again. Um, to honor you, I want to talk about how awesome this whole process has been to watch you do your thing to see you fully dive in and like even you know from the beginning like working with Lara to help set up your business um you know you reached out to me and asked me about my business manager who was Lara at the time and now she helped you get set up and then now she's doing her own thing as a as a doula a birth doula but it's like it's been so cool all the pieces are are coming together and like seeing you go along the path and like it's uh, I mean, 
the sky is the limit. It's so cool. It's so cool. And, you know, Laura helped me when she decided to go back full-time to her birth doula business. She helped me hire a virtual assistant who I just sing the praises of. I mean, she's just, she's helped me so much with my business. I can't even say. So that has opened up this whole world of how, you know, you can ask for help. You can hire parts done that you don't know how to do yourself. And it's like magic. I mean, the stuff she can do that I don't even know how to do has impacted everything about how my business has grown. So like, you know, also a shout out to like asking for help, looking for connections. You know, that was such a great example of like windows and doors flying open. Cause I remember thinking, oh, you know, I bet there's a way to have somebody help me start this and formulate it as a more solid business. And I swear it was like within 24 hours, I opened the Taylor Gallegos newsletter and right in it, he says, I have this lovely, fabulous online, you know, business manager. And I'm like, oh, well, I'll call her. So, you know, like I, it's not like <laughs> interviewed 12 business managers or spent a long time struggling with trying to find one. Like it dropped in my lap, you know, that kind of like just <laughs> alignment just showed up. And then when she was stopping, I thought, oh no, what am I going to do? And she helped me hire someone who's just, taken it the whole next level. It's just been really neat. Nice. Yep. Yep. Laura, she's awesome. Um, awesome. Well, all shout right. out to you too, Taylor. I mean, you got, you jumped on this podcast thing and you, um, you know, you're taking it all kinds of places in your own life and your own art. I just, I love seeing the shift in like the fire that got lit in you to to have a drive behind your work that was already there, but it's like it intensified. Yeah. And that is really an impactful. Yeah. The course absolutely helped um, really focus the laser beam that much more. Yeah. And that's where we are now. And things are just picking up and um, stacking up right now. Here's, here's a question. How has it impacted your partner? Um. Hmm. I don't know. I mean, like we went, she was like right there with me through all of this and, uh, you know, Adam passing and then like the course and going like, um, yeah, I would come out of the class, you know, and then be like, holy shit. <laughs> like that was powerful. And then we'd talk about it. And so, yeah, like, I don't know. I, I mean, your partner is there for all of the wins and losses that you have in life. And the, and, and so they're just so inextricably connected to your um, emotional world. And so, yeah, she's, she's just been there for it all and seen it all. And <laughs> it's, it's amazing, like how connected you really are with your, with your significant other. Yeah. If you, if, if you are, you are, if you are, and if you, yeah, if you choose to be that way. Yeah um yeah uh okay so where can people follow you and check out your podcast and all the things sure so you can find me i'm on facebook i'm on instagram best life best death and uh website is bestlifebestdeath.com cool and then uh and your podcast is on podcast, podcast is on yeah all the big stuff apple spotify and you can access it easily through the website bestlifebestdeath.com or you can uh subscribe Cool. Comes out. Here's the here's the secret. I put it up on Wednesdays, but I don't really announce it till Thursdays. So if you subscribe, you'll kind of, you know, it'll pop in sometime on Wednesday. Um, that's just to give me a little bit of flow time in case there's ever a problem. 
another thing that that does, I do the same thing and it's cool to, I usually wait a couple of days actually. And then it's neat to see how the organic growth has grown before, you know, after a couple of days, I'll look at it and be like, oh, wow, like 50 people have listened. Like, right. Um, and, you haven't even set it. and you haven't even set it up. That's yeah. Right. So then you can see that, like what happens from like nothing to like when you promote it, which is pretty cool. What's been fun for me is I, I've really evolved, I guess, over the last six or nine months to where my social media for the week really is a lead up to the podcast. So whatever the subject, you know, the, the week that I did um, a podcast about suicide, I put up a lot of information about suicide or a week that I had a podcast about fear of death. I kind of explored fear of death and social media. So that's been just fun to have like this theme to build around. Totally. So like, and that's the neat part is like, as time goes by, you really start to like learn these cycles, these natural cycles yeah. of your week, your month, your fl- whatever it is, your projects. However yep. it goes. I kind of have made it a thing for the third podcast of the month. Usually it's about something about body disposition. So I started with like composting and aquamation, and then a really interesting one about, um, a company that puts, um, it's called Eternal Reefs. They put reef balls in the ocean that include cremated remains. And then, you know, just all these different things you can do. Sign me up. (laughs) I know, right? That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So pretty, pretty, that's been a really fun thread because as I said, body disposition has, disposition has changed so much. There's so many different options. So I love, I love having that little theme run through it too on the, on those third weeks. Yeah. Nice. Um, cool. All right. Uh, well, we're going to take a little break. I'm hoping to have like another couple minutes with you for part two of my podcast. Uh, so we're going to take a quick little break and, um, can you give the people one more bit of wisdom? It can be about anything under the sun. Mm, Yeah. I would say find a way to start the conversation. And also know it won't be one conversation. You're going to have a few conversations with your spouse, with your kids, with a friend, with your partner, with your parents, you know, probably a lot of your demographic who listen have aging parents. So how do you have a conversation with your parents where you say, hey, I heard this interesting podcast. It really got me to be thinking about end of life. And, you know, what are your wishes and what, what do we, how do we want to handle this as a family? If you have these kinds of conversations before you have to have these conversations, it can just be a more gentle exploration. Totally. Nice. All right. We'll be right back. Part two is brought to you by Steady State Roasting in Carlsbad, California. This place is my favorite coffee shop on the West Coast, and the coffee is the best. They roast all their own coffees from around the world and have a roasting collective for the local coffee-making community. Check them out in the village of Carlsbad or order their beans online at steadystateroasting.com. And we're back. Okay, so we've got, you know, a couple minutes left here in our little recording window. And I, I just, part two of this podcast has become really cool. It's like one of my favorite parts because... Part one, we got all that out of the way, you know, now it's like bonus time. So I love that. yeah. how are you feeling now? We I just did, great. we recorded your podcast. We recorded mine. I feel great. I, I swear my face is starting to hurt. I'm smiling so much. I mean, I just <laughs> love, I enjoy talking with you. I enjoy talking about the, all these subjects. I mean, creativity, 
life, death. Wow. What else is there? You know? Okay. There is one other thing that we do talk about occasionally that is really an interesting issue in the world of end of life, which is psychedelic, like in involvement yes. Yes. in awesome. people in like end of life in, um, what is it? Uh, chronic issues, things like yeah. that. Like, and we've talked about it a little bit of just like where the world's at with it. So what are your thoughts on it? I think think? it's, I think it's huge. I mean, I I think it's really, really interesting there there, you know, the studies coming out of John Hopkins and other places are, are finding this to have such a huge impact on people for trauma, for existential angst. That's not touchable in any other way. One psilocybin dose with a, you know, some intention set beforehand. I think, I think at least one of the studies is doing like a session beforehand, the actual session, and then a follow-up. And they're finding impacts on people six months later that are that are profound. Yeah, so I, I just think it's a huge, huge piece of where the future is headed. Now, what I think is interesting is how probably this is going to be taken over by big farm, right? So big pharmacy. So, so that's really a poignant and distressing part to me that this you know, these plant medicines that have been indigenous and used widely for centuries, aka read the immortality key, are are now kind of being they're they're gonna probably be taken over by big money. And that is a little bit of a downer to me. And I guess maybe it's inevitable in where we live in this society at this time. So maybe the trade-off is more people will have access to the experience. And the downside is it's going to be more controlled by, you know, the man, what I'll loosely call the man. Right. You know? um, right. okay. But I, I've been looking for somebody to interview on my podcast about it. I think it's got enormous implications for people because so many people do have fear of death. And I really loved the podcast I did a few weeks back about fear of death. It was with a, a doula up in um, the Northwest and Nicole Comack. And she you know, we kind of talked about how fear of death really breaks up into kind of some very specific fears. And, you know, some of it has to do with people you leave behind. Some of it has to do with, oh dear, what comes next? A lot of people are afraid of pain at the end of life. And so identifying what it is you're afraid of actually can help you take some actions towards alleviating that. But some people have this level of existential fear that they do not know how to get out of that I would speculate comes partly out of living in a secular, non-spiritual, productivity-based society, something like that, right? I'm I'm not the most particular expert on this, but that's just like my gut instinct says, yeah, we're kind of messed up from where humans should probably be living from in community, in connection, in relationship, on the land. And so this tool of psilocybin and other psychedelics, I think could be a really interesting place for that kind of um, um, warped humanity to come back into alignment. Yeah, totally. And um, I have done psychedelics before. And um, one thing that I've experienced with them, with um, a lot of the different ones, and what I've learned about them is like what it does is it quiets down the energy to um, your frontal lobe, which is like your version, you know, where your ego sits, where your like high level functioning elements sit. 
and then um, the energy, like the the firing, goes deeper into your brain, into the subconscious levels. And um, one thing that happens in your frontal lobe is um, like critical thinking, and like so the critical aspect quiets down, and then we're able to like think and exist from a frequency that's not bogged down by critical analysis saying like no no this no that no 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 or like limiting beliefs or things like that and so you can sort of um have you can think about death and life and everything in between without the um the sort of like critical thoughts coming in and shutting it down or angling it a certain way or placing a certain story on it um which is really interesting and i think that that's like that's so cool how it can work like that for people so cool. they, they stop thinking of it through a fear-based lens of like oh that's not going to work right 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 we just had a fantastic movie showing uh this week in boulder colorado where there's an organization called the when you die project and they're working on a series of documentaries about death the first one is called in the realm of death and dreaming the second piece is called, second chapter is called Saying Goodbye, Preparing for Death. And both of these movies, for sure, the first one you can find on their website in rent for a very nominal fee. And the second one isn't up on the website yet because it just was released. The Boulder showing was one of the first. And so these movies talk with all kinds of experts on end of life and kind of get their take on it. And the first movie is really focused on does consciousness continue after we die? Nice. And there is conversation in it about psilocybin and what that does. And one of the scientists talks about how it it's like it um it it takes away a filter that keeps the that allows the brain to connect up to a different place is kind of my layman's understanding of it. So I really I recommend those two films as a way also to kind of hear people talk about. Uh, what the effects can be of getting in contact with something that's an altered reality. And of course, there's the great movie, um, Fantastic Fungi, which is such a great watch. Yep. Yep. Or the book, uh, How to Change Your Mind. He talks yeah. about it a lot in that in the end. I feel like there's kind of a, a bottleneck or like a challenge piece that's happening right now with the generation of people who are older, you know, who are like looking a lot closer at death, but then also they are more conservatively mindseted in terms of psychedelics, you know, like they have been very, very illegal for those people for a very long time. Right. Whereas like they are the ones that probably could use it the most. And right. So it's, it's probably like a mix, right? Because there's the conservatives, but then there's also the boomers coming up who probably all did psychedelics in the 60s, yeah. but, maybe, but maybe had done them in a much more recreational way, like as opposed to kind of like an intentional um, life experiment way. Exactly. And I hear people talk about that a lot with uh, like from a fear based place in terms of psychedelics or or any sort of an experience like that. They're like, oh, no, no, no. I've done mushrooms before and it fucked me up and it was like, I'll never do that again. It's like, right. Well, and you're, and you're like, well, how many grams did you take on Halloween at some giant party? <laughs> right. Exactly. With when you were like 20 or 16, right, right. maybe even, you know, like here, right. I hear that a lot. It's like, that's the equivalent of drinking like a 30 case of beer to yourself and right. thinking that that is the experience that you have with alcohol. 
Right, right. Yeah, I think there's something about exploring it in a way that's guided with people who kind of can help you put an intention around it and a a, st- a structure, not, not like, it's not like you structure this unstructured experience, but how do you, how is it held, you right. know, and the holding matters, I think. Yeah. Totally. And the, and the place, it's like, it's very much about set and setting, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, like there's the drinking a 30 case of beer to yourself with like friends in your dorm room. And then there's also drinking like a fine wine on a vineyard with great friends with lots of conversation. And then there's also like the sacrament, you know, like to take it into like a spiritual place, like in a beautiful, like, but you know, like that's the sort of metaphor, like there's different ways of doing things. I think that's exactly right. And so people get kind of hung up on those details. I think I've also heard people talk about being like, just kind of afraid, like they're just afraid of being out of control or afraid of what would come up. But, but that isn't what I hear in anything I read these studies. I see, it seems like it's um, for many people, it's just a really life altering experience and seems to pair beautifully with end of life work. Yeah. It'll be cool to hear your podcast with whoever you're going to find. I'll connect you with Dr. Rob and we'll see where that leads you. Um, But it's going to be, yeah, that's pretty amazing. And like MAPS, multiple, I forget what the the acronym stands for, MAPS.org. Yep. Those guys are doing a lot of really amazing stuff. Well, and Naropa is now doing a training. And the other thing I came out of, a, um, I, I did a training with Elua Arthur and Going With Grace that was called Expanding Your Toolbox for End-of-Life Work. And there were multiple aspects to it. One of them was, was psilocybin. And uh, they talked about how it was likely to be that it was going to be an attached certificate to a licensure. So in other words, if you're a therapist, you will be able to get certified to do this. It might be a little more complicated to be a guide. If you're a lay person, like, like I'm a, I'm a teaching background and a facilitating background. I don't have that kind of LCSW or whatever you might need to have, but I think it's really neat that Naropa and, you know, a lot of other places are starting to um, really see where this might go five years from now. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. There's a lot of exciting stuff out there. There's a lot of crazy shit out there too, but there's a lot of exciting stuff. (laughs) That's so true. All at the same time. (laughs) Mm -hmm. All right. Well, guess what? It's 1.30. We we did the thing. Amazing. Thanks so (laughs) much, Taylor. I always enjoy talking with you. Yep. Same here. We'll do another check-in on the podcast in a couple of years and who knows where we'll be. So true. Sounds great. (laughs) All right. Bye, everybody. So that, my friends, was Diane Hullett. She's back. She's back on the podcast. It's been fun having people back on the podcast after a certain amount of time because all these creative humans um, are movers and shakers, much like yourself. And, uh, you know, like Diane and I were talking beforehand how it's so wild that, like, I mean, on one hand, maybe, maybe we're lucky, but on the other hand, it's like, I think that when you just lean into um, creativity and ideas and like lean into that feeling of excitement, things open up. You know, it's that like 
wall that the spaghetti sticks to. You gotta find that wall that like it sticks really well to. And you're, you know, it's kind of a numbers game. Yeah, it's gonna take a certain amount of spaghetti thrown against walls to see which one sticks. So you might as well throw a lot of spaghetti all the time. And um, yeah, I forget which book it was that I listened to recently, but the guy was talking about how uh, if you like the people that succeed aren't always the best. In fact, sometimes they're the worst, hypothetically. They're the ones that can fail the most in the shortest amount of time, which will get them to the success, you know? And this was it. Like, the example was like figuring out how to like fly across the English Channel, and I forget the specific details. So, and every, you know, art is very abstract, and different kinds are very abstract in different ways. Success is an abstract term, but, um, you know, the more the less fear of failure you can have, the more like faith in the process, then, you know, the, the faster you're going to get places. And it's cool because faith in the process makes it so that like failure sort of doesn't exist. It's just like things that work or don't work, but it's more objective. It's almost like doing like science experiments, but with, creative endeavors and um and you know with the science experiment you're not going to risk everything um so you if you're looking at it all from like a scientific perspective your art your creativity your creative ventures then you can sort of have that viewpoint that how can you risk things but not bet the farm and uh how can you like take little risks all the time more often because um, that's going to get you to the big payout whatever that means so yeah diane's awesome she's crushing it everybody should follow her and uh and learn from her best life best death class was so awesome very profound and i feel much better prepared for death and life because of it so Hope you're all having fun, being creative, doing your thing. Um, hey, I want to say this. Even if nobody else believes in you, I deeply believe in you and your creative fire and spark and the possibilities of you winning the game of creativity in your life, um, being a successful artist in whatever way that that you see it. I really think like if you just go for it and keep going, you're going to find the answer. So that's it. So even if nobody out there thinks that you have what it takes, I do. Because I know that it's not, it's not magic. I'm not a magician. I'm just doing things. Diane's just doing things. So if you just do things, over time they're gonna stack up. So do it, go after it, you got this. Cheers. And also, we got this little bonus section here. I wanted to include a little uh, teaser for you of um, Diane's interview with me. So this is her interview on Best Life, Best Death, the podcast. And uh, yeah, it's like six minutes of it. It was a 20-minute interview, and it was awesome. So um, if you like what you hear, then go check out the whole podcast. 
and follow and subscribe Diane over there. Cool. Enjoy. Hi, I'm Diane Hullett and welcome to the Best Life, Best Death podcast. Today, I've got a really interesting guest, an old friend of mine, Taylor Gallegos. And Taylor's mom and I used to teach together at a high school in Boulder, Colorado. And so I've known Taylor, you know, many, many, many years. Welcome, Taylor. Hey, hi, Diane. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And Taylor is a visual artist uh, focusing on murals and live paintings and a podcaster and just an all around really interesting guy in his 30s, which I think is an interesting aspect to this conversation. So Taylor's mom took my best three months class and Taylor was pretty intrigued by it. So he signed up for the best three months class. And now it's been about six months and Taylor and I just thought it might be interesting to have a conversation about why he was drawn to that and what he's taken away from it. So maybe just start off, tell us a little bit about why, what made you decide to sign up? Yeah. Um, great question. So yeah, I'm in my thirties, barely. I'm about to turn 40 <laughs> in a month. <laughs> so you only claim that for a short amount of time still, but yeah. Um, yeah. Mom was saying how much she got out of it and she, uh, she really appreciated it and learned and all this stuff. And, um, I guess it started with like COVID time. Um, mom's got some sort of asthma stuff to her and so when COVID was coming around especially early on when nobody really knew what was going on or how hard it was going to hit everybody and um you know she's in Colorado I'm in Southern California uh we had to have some really like direct conversations of like the fact that she could die and like we might not get to see each other again and like those realizations were were very real and so then you know, COVID kind of let up a little bit. It's tapering off in whatever way it is. And so she, she, uh, she took the class, told me how much she got out of it. And um, kind of at the same time, last November, a really good friend of mine passed away that I grew up with. And so then that sort of like flipped me upside down and, and the class seemed like it was just like screaming at me, like, hey, this is something that would be really like pertinent to do right now. So signed up. It was great. Yeah, it was you, you and another friend. So there were two kind of people in their thirties and then mostly people, you know, over 60 tends to be a demographic that's drawn to it. And you know, what, what looking back six months later, what were some of the things that stood out for you? The things that stood out for me looking back on it is, um, sort of the, the preparation for the reality of what comes to everybody. You know, like when we're young, we don't really think about death. We don't really need to. And death is something that happens to older people, quote unquote. And, um, or like in like freak situations, uh, accidents and whatnot. So like, um, and I mean, I'll just say this, like, I'm very blessed and, uh, you know, what is it? Um, lucky to just be in a situation where like I'm safe all the time. And, um, I guess privileged is, uh, is one way to say it like safe. And I don't have to like worry about, you know, basic needs type stuff. Like so much of the world has is like facing death way more often and way more like on the doorstep. So like as an American, 
we're really like kind of buffered from it. A, a young American, like we can sort of like live in this like dreamland where where death really isn't there. Um, but yeah, like going through this process with all the people in it and, you know, the seven week course, it really kind of opened my eyes to the reality of it. It put me like face to face with the concept, especially with my buddy passing. And like, um, it was like, I got to, to think about it and, and think about it in not in the way that it feels. And when you have to think about it, when someone dies, when someone dies and it's like, it's like shoved down your throat. And then you have to deal with it, whether you've like thought about it or not. Whereas this is like kind of getting to like, you know, fly over it like 30,000 feet and like identify the geography and, um, you know, see what kind of things, the peaks and valleys that exist. And I like, I feel so much more prepared for um, like handling death. And then also, you know, like as a person in a family, people are going to pass away through time. And um, the more prepared that each individual can be with like the stages of death and then the stages of grief and the, like the general flow of like, you know, when the body is like ready to pass, it'll start to shut down on in terms of like eating and drinking. And like, it'll, you'll sort of like transition into like a dream world, which I saw with my grandma. So like, you know, and like the Western medical field, like they want, their job is to keep people alive, which doesn't really work with people when they are like dying at the end of their life because they're like sort of fighting this um futile battle and like the fighting actually makes the whole process harder so yeah i i i got to just like consider all this stuff and think about it it was great yeah yeah i love i think it's barbara Carnes who says you know at the end of life maybe there's no longer opportunity for cure, but there's still opportunity for healing. And what, what does that look like if we get out of the mindset of cure and fix, um, you know, caring for someone who's dying is different than caring for someone who's going to get better. So there was a little clip from Diane's interview with me. Uh, if you like we heard and you want to hear more, jump over to her podcast at best life, best death, wherever you're listening to this podcast now and check it out and then follow and subscribe to Diane in all the ways and uh, reach out to her and say hi. Tell her what you think of all this. Sound good? All right. Cheers.